Welcome to the Project 38 podcast, where we explore the state of the market and the future of government contracting. I'm Nick Wakeman, editor of Washington Technology. I recently had the opportunity to talk with uh, retired Air Force General Hawk Carlisle, who is the president and CEO of the National Defense Industrial Association. We talked about the role of M&A in developing innovation, but the conversation quickly led to the need for modernizing the way the Defense Department plans and funds the development of new technologies. And there's also a real need for speed, given the threats that we face. Carlisle shares ways that DOD and Congress need to change, and also how industry has to play a critical role, and also has room to change itself. Here's our conversation. Yeah, I wanted to start off kind of broadly, looking at M&A in the defense market, and I understand there's something called that I'm hearing more about these vertical M&As. And I was wondering if you could kind of explain that concept. What is that? So vertical M&A is a company that uh, it, it does. It basically buys somebody in their supply chain that either supplies a capability to build a part of their product. So it goes down in a vertical way to a supply, a supplier of a component for their ultimate product or to add another product to their list of products. So it's in their in their same venue of products, but they buy somebody that offers that uh, a, an additional product to their product line. A pharmaceutical company goes out and buys somebody that makes a particular drug that they can add to their portfolio of drugs they sell. That would be a vertical. Uh, oh, okay. okay. Or if uh, a supplier of missiles uh, goes out and buys a company that builds the rocket motors that they put on their missiles. That would be a vertical M&A. So that would okay. be a supply chain as part of their product. Okay. So it, I've heard that it raised that some, like the FTC in particular, the Federal Trade Commission, they have some concerns about that. Can you talk about why they kind of uh, worry people, I guess? I think it, it's the the – it's understandable in that they want open and free competition to drive costs down to the government and, and things like that, right? So the idea of competition is important. I think what the FTC looks at is if there's limited suppliers of a particular product capability and they supply to multiple companies, bigger companies, then if one of those bigger companies buys that company, they could potentially restrict their competitors from getting that that product that's part of this their supply chain as well so that that's the primary concern for the FTC is that if uh, if you know if there's three competing companies that produce missiles for example and there's two or three or one supplier that makes rocket motors if one of those three companies goes out and buys that rocket motor company, then they can restrict the their competition from having access to that to that uh, that supply chain. And so the FTC is concerned that that would potentially inhibit competition and could potentially lead to monopoly or something to that effect. So should they be stopping these kind of deals? Well, I think it's a case by case basis. And, I, you know, you don't want to talk about any one particular example. But, you know, there, there's other examples where um, 
a company, there, there's a young innovative company that produces a capability that fits onto a larger product. And the, the way that they're able to expand this innovative capability and actually develop it is venture capitalists, private equity is willing to give them money for the research and development to scale and eventually get it uh, produced with the hope of that company becoming more valuable and then be available for sales so they get a return on their investment, the money they put into the company. So I think, you know, on the innovation side, the the what the FTC limiting vertical mergers and acquisitions could potentially inhibit innovation because a lot of the private the the ecosystem of innovation in this country is Young entrepreneurs have a great idea. They can produce a product or a, cap- a supply chain capability for a different product, but they need money to be able to develop it. So private equity, venture capitalists put money into it and go, okay, go ahead and develop it. And so they have that money to be able to expand on their entrepreneurship and their innovation and develop this capability. But then the venture capitalists want to be able to sell it to another company so that they can get a return on their investment. If you if if the venture capitalist said, hey, because of this rule against vertical M&As, we're not going to invest in these young, innovative companies because the potential to sell them is going to be inhibited by the FTC, then these young, innovative companies won't have the money to develop the capability that they're doing. And you'll kind of inhibit the innovation base of our country. And today in the commercial market, you know, that's that's how it works. Venture capitalists will look at 10 different companies, go, hey, we're going to put money into these. Eight of them fail, two of them are ragingly successful. They sell them and they, they have more money to put into new innovative companies. Yeah. So if you inhibit that, you could potentially hurt the innovation base and the innovation ecosystem. I think to, to get after what the FTC is looking for is, you know, in the case of, you know, a company buying one of their suppliers, they can make access agreements for other companies. They could enforce rules and say, yeah, you can buy that company, but here's the rule set that you're going to have to allow other companies, your competitors, to buy from that same supplier and use the rule set. So, you know, it's a case-by-case basis. I think the key is not all vertical mergers are bad. Um, Some of them support the innovation base. And some of them need to go forward and they have, and in the cases of the limited supply chain, they need to just have definitive enforceable rules on how other companies get access to that supply chain. And, you know, but not all them are good. There are some cases where maybe they, sh- they, they shouldn't because they, they can't get the, the access agreements right or, or there's other impediments to, to compet- competition. So, I just think it needs to be a case by case basis, but they need to understand the FTC needs to understand the innovation ecosystem that supports the innovation in our country. And a lot of that, the way it's done in the commercial market is the reason we have the incredible commercial market that we have is because there's this money that's willing to go into these innovative companies. Yeah. So I guess to have a, a healthy uh, defense industrial base, you need to keep attracting this private equity and venture capital funds to come in. That's exactly. A, that's, a, that's a good sign for the industry, I guess, for the market. It's, a, it's exactly right. And we need it to be 
within the United States. I mean, that's why CFIUS and trusted capital is out there. We don't need the Chinese to be financing our innovative companies and then stealing that technology and going back to their own country and selling it there. That, you know, yeah. that's the other part of it is these young innovative companies, when, when, when they get turned down by the U.S. government or they don't get because private capital can't go into them because the FTC, well, maybe some foreign potential adversary will go throw money at them with the intent of taking that technology and using it for their own benefit. So that's yeah. a that's another part of it that I think has to be part of the calculus. Yeah. You know, with so many deals, M&A deals going on right now, what how is that changing the, the defense industrial base? Is it becoming, you know, more vibrant? Are you bringing more innovation? Are you worried about anything in that area? Yeah. Yeah, I, I think I, I think the innovation, you know, barring the FTC overreach on, on banning vertical mergers, which I hope does not happen. The innovation in the defense industrial base right now is pretty good there. You know, there's there's a lot of folks doing a lot of innovative work out there. There's some great companies. There's a lot of commercial defense overlap and, and crossover where you know, the Defense Department seeing something of a commercial enterprise and goes, hey, that's a great technology. We can use it. Let's develop it. There's also friends, partners and allies. I mean, we, I think, compared to our potential adversaries out there of China and Russia, we have the asymmetric advantage of we have friends, partners and allies that that are part of that innovation base as well. And it, you know, it starts with the five eyes and then it goes to other very close partners like the rest of NATO and Japan and and, and other countries. So I, I think that, you know, our innovation base is good. Uh, you know, we, we don't do things fast enough in the Department of Defense. I think our we can learn from commercial enterprise and how fast we can develop things that will require some level of accepting of risk, which I think more and more is becoming a reality. I think Congress understands that, Department understands that. Um, so we have to accept risk so that we can accelerate some of this innovation in, in the defense and national security arena. But the, the innovation base is here. That's, again, I think it's our country and the strength of our economy is based on the, the innovation, of, the innovative spirit, the entre entrepreneurship that we have in, in the American people and the Western values and our friends, partners and allies. We need to continue to facilitate that to stay ahead of the potential adversaries out there. Yeah, now, when you talk about that that uh, change or that risk to, to accelerate how we, you know, develop innovation and and bring in innovation in, how how can we do that? Is it something? Is it purely a leadership thing? Is it is it changing in policies and regulation? How how can we drive that forward? So uh, that's a great question. So I was just in a meeting this morning with the vice chairman and uh, his J7 and J8 talking with an industry. He had an industry day where he brought leaders of industry and we brought membership from NDIA in uh, and had a secret no forum session on, hey, here's what the department's trying to do, the new joint warfighting concept and, and what the JROC is trying to do. So, you know, the, the department realized that I believe Congress is more and more realizing that we need to. Uh, change some laws and rules and regulations. I think, you know, one of the biggest things is we still operate under a planning, programming, budgeting and execution system that's a McNamara era industrial age system. I think everybody realizes we need to change that system so we can move faster. 
which means that, you know, we're going to have to, you know, we're going to have to cut down some of the committees, the, you know, multiple committees that have to approve things before you can actually get a program or record. We're going to have to have money available that is not tied to a program or record, but when an innovative capability shows up, there's money available to continue to develop it. If it proves valuable in experimentation and and exercises, then we have to figure out a way to, to get it to the warfighter and scale it and get the capability fielded. So I think more and more people are realizing the, the process by which we resource capability today has got to modernize and change. I think Congress realizes it, the department realizes it. I'll tell you that, you know, the the Department of Defense right now fully understands that they need to um, change the way that they resource and determine capability requirements, given that we have a threat today, an existential threat in our two primary adversaries of China and Russia, uh, especially China, that in an autocratic society where the government can dictate what industry does, they and they steal so much stuff from us that we have got to find a way to keep that innovative spirit and accelerate our ability to do that. Yeah, it's interesting you, that talking about your meeting this morning. I yesterday had a conversation with an executive at a company, and he was sort of talking about from the industry point of view that they he says we can't sit and wait two three years as requirements get developed to, to know where we need to invest ourselves. So I guess there's also the counterpart is that companies need to change the way they operate as well. Well, right, that's exactly right, and they need to understand what the government wants them to do. I mean, right. that's part of the thing that I think you know the the open communication in a ethical, legal, you know, even playing field uh, environment, um, which NDIA provides, and associations like ours that are nonprofit 501c3s provides the opportunity for the government to talk to industry and industry to ask the government questions. I mean, today was a great example of yeah, the vice chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff saying, okay, here's the new joint warfighting concept. Here's where we're going. Here's what we need you to help us work on and do and develop um, and getting those, you know, and it was the companies were big companies, medium-sized companies, small business, innovators, and, and that's the kind of those are the kind of dialogues you have to have if you're going to accelerate this process as we go forward. Yeah. Now, when you look ahead at the next, you know, year, 18 months, what's sort of, and I, and I think you've talked about several of these things, but I just want to ask it more directly. What are sort of your top four or five priorities, things that you're focused on for the for the industry? So I think um, uh, I I think the the way forward, uh, there's a couple things that are really important right now. One is industry needs to understand what the what the joint warfighting concept, what Defense Department needs, and and how they can accelerate it is what I've talked about. So today was a, a great example of that, where industry needs to really understand where the where the Department of Defense and National Security is going. I think the other priority right now, and there's been a lot of talk about it continuously, is the Cybersecurity Maturity Model Certification, CMMC. I think our ability to defend our information, to defend our in intellectual property uh, is, is incredibly important. And it's something that, you know, I think everybody realizes it. There's examples, you know, whether it's Colonial Pipeline or, you know, uh, SolarWinds or Microsoft Exchange. We know what our adversaries are doing. We know they're trying to steal everything they can and they're going to do everything in their power 
you know, they don't care about rules or, or any of that. They're just going to steal everything they can. So we have to protect that information. Um, I think, you know, the, the vice chairman brought it up this morning, you know, we have got to understand that our ability to, to do data across the spectrum. So every weapon system, every capability inside the Department of Defense has to have accessible data. It's got to be usable. It's got to be, you know, the intellectual property. We fully understand, you know, I think the department fully understands that intellectual property is, you know, the secret sauce of a company and they they need that. But they have to have the ability to integrate and interoperate and work with the other systems. They have to make all their data accessible um, so that we can, you know, build this joint warfighting concept that allows sensors and shooters and weapons and command and control to operate across every domain to give our potential adversaries challenges that they can't handle. And that's my conversation with General Hawk Carlisle of NDIA. Some key takeaways for me is how important M&A is and how it drives innovation in the defense market. I also think it's important to think about what he says about the uh, structural changes that should take place to drive more innovation and at a quicker pace. We'll be following up on some of those ideas in future podcasts, so stay tuned. Again, I'm Nick Wakeman, editor of Washington Technology, and this is the Project 38 podcast. You can find past episodes on our website, WashingtonTechnology.com, as well as on iTunes and other podcast platforms. Thanks for listening and stay safe.